Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. So a memory that I have of like the most passionate conversation my father and I ever had, that may be like the kind way to describe it. And I don't even know if he, he remembers this. So if he's watching online, dad, maybe this will jar your memory, but the most passionate conversation I ever had with my dad was about a number, uh, a percentage to be exact. But he had asked me a question. I was a new believer at the time, and he had asked me this question to kind of set up a little bit of a conversation, uh, as you would call it. Um, but the, the question was, the percentage you want to get to is he said, hey, how many people, like what percentage of people in our hometown do you think are going to be in heaven someday? He asked me to put a percentage on it. Now, understand this, guys. I'm, I'm from small town Iowa, so about 600 people in my hometown. So I'm not talking about some nameless sea of people, right? I'm talking about people like my teachers at school. I'm talking about uh, my wrestling coach. I'm talking about the people that served me sweet corn at sweet corn days or like threw candy to me at Shinbone Valley days. That was a thing. Or like fellow members of the Pleasant Valley Sharpshooters. That was my 4-H club. Like, okay, so now you know I'm like small town, small town. I haven't even gotten into like the lion's fish fry and all the other cool things that Elgin, Iowa was known for. But like, you know everybody. And, and I'm talking about like good people, church-going people, hardworking people, salt-of-the-earth people, and he asked me to put a percentage on it. And in the course of that conversation, he, he put a percentage that was, that was about here, and I, I chose one that was more here, and that sparked a debate. But, but what it was centered around was over this text that we're diving into today. And all I want to do here, guys, because honestly, neither of us have any clue. Like, right? like, like, my dad doesn't know, I don't know, and I pray I pray that the number of people in my hometown will be much higher than the percentage I said that day. But I bring up that conversation. I bring up that little argument that we had to just ask you, in reading this text, what do you think? What do you think? So here we are. As we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever given by the greatest preacher who ever lived for now 16 weeks. We have one more week left next week. But in this now for 16 weeks though, and what we're gonna get into today in these final two weeks then is how Jesus ends the greatest sermon ever given, his sermon, he ends it with four warnings. Three of them we'll cover today, one we'll cover next week. And each of his warnings has a contrast between two things. A contrast between two gates and roads, two kinds of prophets, a contrast of Two kinds of Christians, and then next week we'll talk about two kinds of foundations. But today, we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to jump into his first warning where he contrasts two kinds of gates, these two roads that he lays before us. So I'm going to read verse 13, this first warning. It says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. So in this first warning, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to put an image in our minds that we stand at like a fork in the road, and we can see before us two gates, and then through those gates, we can see two roads 
And in that, not only are we seeing roads, we can even see crowds and we can see destinations. You can, you can look at that fork in the road, you can see all of that. And this one gate is wide. And even as we look through it, we can see the road beyond it is inviting, it's comfortable, it's broad, and it's also very popular. And Jesus says that that road, it's very popular, it's broad, it's comfortable, it's inviting, also leads to destruction. And when he's talking about destruction here, don't like miss the meaning of that word because he's not talking about like destruction, like, yeah, that, that road's just full of like heartache and it's sad and there's a lot of sadness there. Like he's, he's contrasting a road that leads to destruction and a road that leads to life. The road that leads to destruction, like, don't miss this. He's talking about the etor- eternal torment of hell. Like one path leads to life and eternal life. One path leads to destruction and eternal torment in hell. But there is this other gate. It's not quite as wide as the other one. In fact, it's, it's much smaller. It's, it's described as very narrow. And you can not only see that gate, but you can see beyond it. The, the road itself is difficult. Not quite as easy or inviting as the other road. And Jesus says, this is the road that leads to life, and few find it. Few find it. And here's the warning. Here's what he's getting at. Guys, understand this. Christianity is incredibly inclusive. What I mean is, it doesn't matter if you are born in Siberia, Argentina, Egypt, Germany, wherever, or if you grew up and you once referred to God as Allah, or you burned incense to Buddha, or that you spent your life thinking that you had to earn God's affections, or that you even grew up hating Christians and mocking them. It doesn't matter any of those sayings, Christianity is for you. Christianity is incredibly inclusive in its invitation for all people. Incredibly inclusive in its invitation, but incredibly and unapologetically exclusive in its message. You understand those two things? It's important to get that. Incredibly inclusive in its invitation, but unapologetically exclusive in its message. There is only one gate to the road that leads to eternal life. And it's incredibly narrow, and its name is Jesus. And there is no other way to life, an eternal life. But the wrath, absorbing grace, purchasing, sacrifice of God is available to all people, but it's available only through trust in Christ, faith in Christ. This is what Peter is declaring to the religious leaders of his day in Acts 4 when he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now, in all of this, all I've been talking about is just the gate, that the gate is, is narrow. But understand this, then the road through that gate then is also difficult. Please understand this, that not only is the gate narrow, but the road is difficult, meaning that choosing Christ does not mean that your life will be easy. Like those who tell you that if you trust Christ, all of life after that will be smooth sailing, that is a total lie. To choose Christ is to choose the path of difficulty. 
That word difficult, right, when it says there in those verses that the, the road's difficult, behind that word is the Greek word thipsis, which means tribulation or persecution. And the reason why that road is particularly difficult is because it's so unpopular. You will be one of the few on it, and there will be many on a different path that think either, A, you have totally lost your mind, and they will let you know about it. B, they will mock you and not be applauding you for sure. Or worse, worse, they will be yelling at you constantly that there's an easier path for you to take that leads to life. And that actually sets up our next warning about two kinds of prophets. Verse 15, then pick up with me again. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. All right, quick question here, just scan in the room. Anybody in here like a tree expert? Like arborist? Anybody got any of those in here? I looked up what an arborist is. They call it like arborists or tree surgeons. That's how they're described in the dictionary. Any like arborists? Like you guys would be like super cool people. All right. You have to sit this one out. This is a group activity that you don't get to participate in. So Jacob, don't ruin this for me. All right. So real quick, is this a thorn bush or a grapevine? All right. I hear some mixed thoughts. All right. Next picture. Is this a thorn bush or a grapevine? Oh, you're starting to get more confident. All right, now this one. Is this a thorn bush or a grapevine? Grapevine. How'd you figure that last one out? Did you see the grapes? All right, here's the fun thing. Like, here, here's what, what he's saying, right? That maybe there for a while, it's like, ah, it's, it's hard to tell. Am I looking at a thorn bush or a grapevine? For a while there, it's tough. But eventually, inevitably, the fruit makes it abundantly clear. I mean, even the untrained eye, you don't have to be a tree surgeon or an arborist to figure out which one is a grapevine and which one is a thistle. You could do the same thing with the thistles and the fig trees. Like, like you can tell by its fruit. And what Jesus is trying to let us know here is the same is true for people. Like there's a broader principle here, and I'll, I'll, I'll zoom out because he's talking about false prophets. I'll get back to that. But he, there's a broader principle here that you can recognize who is what based on their fruit, right? So there's a lot of people walking around claiming to be Christians. And Jesus is just saying, like, you can recognize who's a real Christian and who's claiming it. Just look at, look at the fruit of their life. Which, guys, I just want to ask this, like, very important introspective question is that there, is there any fruit at all in your life that proves, that proves the validity of your faith? Like, is there any fruit at all in your life that proves the reality of your faith? And like, being a part of Candeo Church doesn't count. Is there any fruit in your life? What Jesus is going here, he's not, he's not demanding perfection here, right? 
I don't think he's demanding perfection. Like we, we all have moments of failure. We'll look back and be like, that's not who I'm supposed to be in Jesus. But let me just ask you this. This is a line I use all the time. I share this often with our elders, staff. I say this all the time, that consistency of behavior proves what's true. What is the consistent pattern of your life? Is it fruitfulness or is it fruitlessness? What is the consistent pattern of your life? Because anyone can show flashes of Christianity, but you have to have the Spirit of God to bear fruit over time and stand the test of time. So what is the consistent fruit of your life? Is it, as Galatians 5 says about the fruits of the Spirit, is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is it those things? Or is it none of them? You'll recognize them by their fruit. You know who's who by their fruit. The same is true for false prophets as well. Like, and we need to recognize, we can also tell who's who there when it comes to false prophets by their fruit. It's good for us to know that not everyone who professes to be a teacher is going to tell you the truth. It's helpful for us to know that not everyone who claims to be a spiritual leader is going to be leading you toward life. It's helpful for you to understand, as Jesus is warning us here, that not everyone who is religious is pure. You've got to have a category for that in your mind. Now, should that make us like overwhelmingly skeptical of like every person in the room or anybody that ever claims to like be spiritual or anybody that claims to like, hey, let me, let me encourage you. Let me, let me be a voice in your life. No, <laughs> because you just go back 15 verses and he says, right, don't be quick to judge. That was Matthew 7 verse 1. Don't be quick to judge at the same time. Hold these things in tension. Don't be too naive, though, either. But not everyone who professes to be a teacher is a truth speaker. Not everyone who's a spiritual leader is going to be leading you to life. And not everyone who is religious is pure. This crowd sadly exists. And you can recognize them by their fruit. It may be hard to see at first, but eventually over time, watching the consistent fruit or fruitlessness of their life, even the untrained eye should be able to recognize that is not a person full of the Spirit of God. What is the consistent fruit of their lives? But not only with those false prophets should you be able to recognize them by their fruit, I think we can also recognize them by their message. Okay, so it's both these things. You go, well, okay. How do we recognize them by their message? I would go back to this very like, simple thing, this simple test, because most false prophets, where they start is by denying the truth that Jesus has just spoken in verses 13 and 14. No, 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 no. The road to life is not like narrow. It's not that exclusive. Like it's, it's broader than that. Like there's, there's many ways to get to God. That'd be one of the things they would deny. No, 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 no. Like, following Jesus doesn't mean that your life will be difficult. Like, no, no. Like, like some, some people will tell you that that's not true. There, there, there are easier routes to take. 
no, 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 my, my God wouldn't do that. That, that. that can't be true, right? That like only few find life and many go to destruction. No, 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 my, my God wouldn't do that. No, in fact, all, or at least many will find life, will find eternal hope in God, and, and only few will, will spend eternity in hell. This is where false prophets typically start, is by denying the very simple truths that Jesus has just said in verses 13 and 14. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Y'all should, should be able to recognize them by their message. As I just want to say this real quick as we can move on, because this, this concept of false prophets is like, it's just a phrase that we don't use a lot in our day. And in a lot of ways, when, when even I like say it out loud, I'm like, man, like false prophets, that sounds like a problem that we had like a thousand, two thousand years ago. That doesn't sound like a thing that we deal with today. But if you just pause and think back through the things I just said there, the lies that these prophets will say, just denying the simple truths of verses 13 and 14. I don't think that false prophets, like that was a problem that existed years ago and doesn't exist now. In fact, I think there's many more false prophets out there than we think. Many who are on a different path who are telling you that there's an easier way, there's another way, and they're denying what Jesus has just said here. So it's important for us to know that there are two gates and two roads, two crowds, two destinations, all that it's also good for us to know that there's two kinds of prophets, different people that'll be claiming to be religious leaders that'll be telling you a variety of things while you're walking on that path. But for me, it's the third warning that Jesus gives today that's probably the most haunting. We'll pick up in verse 21. He says this, this is a warning of two kinds of Christians. Says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. As I'm just going to let you know, this isn't fun to get up here and teach through like warnings of Jesus, okay? So, um, but stay with me here. Um, as I, I, re I read this so many times in preparing for this morning, and I'm telling you, I don't think I can imagine anything more terrifying than these verses playing out. And the warning here that we need to, to hear is that there's a big difference between being a fan of Jesus and being known by Jesus. That there's a big difference between being in the fan club of Jesus and being a friend of Jesus. The type of person where you know him and he knows you. There's, there's, there's a big difference between those two things. And again, this is one of those situations where we can spot it very clearly out there and in other examples. Here's what I mean. If you had a person in your life that claimed to be very close to Taylor Swift, okay? Imagine you got that friend, and you sit down with them, you're like, all right, so, so explain to me, like, like, what's your relationship like? And they go, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Me, me and Taylor, we're really tight. See, I've read some portions of this book about her, so I know where she was born. I know what she's into. I know kind of like the things she doesn't like. I know she's more of a cat person than a dog person. So I know those things about her. And 
You gotta understand, I've been to like hundreds of her concerts. I can sing all of her songs and I celebrate her birthday every year. If that is somebody you're sitting by, at some point you're gonna do that awkward, like scoot your chair away from them a little bit. Like this is the person that you know got voted in their senior class is most likely to end up on TMZ getting hauled away in handcuffs and getting slapped with a restraining order. Like that's, that's that person in your life. Because you, you're looking at them and going, no, 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 no. This is where I understand the difference between being a delusional fan and a close friend. Right? We can spot it out there, right? The same is true when it comes to, to Jesus. And there's a difference between claiming to know Jesus and being known by Jesus. It's like that classic Michael Scott moment, right? You can't just declare bankruptcy and it happens. Like, I declare, remember that scene? I declare bankruptcy. And Oscar in the next scene's like, hey, just because you say it doesn't mean that it happens. Like, Right? The same is true. And, and you can even combine a few things, like just, just claiming relationship with Jesus and even sprinkling in some like spiritual moments, no matter how dramatic they are, casting out demons and all these other crazy things. You can take a confession of Jesus and sprinkle in some spiritual moments, and that does not equal a relationship with Christ where he actually knows you. And you go, Why? I thought faith was that simple. I thought it was about believing in your heart and confessing it was all that. No, no, no. Don't move through that too quick when you quote Romans 10, 9, because, because the reason why this confession of Christ, these sprinkling in of spiritual moments doesn't matter is because a mere confession does not indicate a repentant heart. Saying something does not indicate a posture change in your heart. This is what Jesus gets at when he talks in Matthew 15. He says that these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Salvation does not hang on the confession of the mouth, but on the posture of the heart. And don't miss this word. It's awful, but it's good for us to hear sometimes awful and painful things. But what he's saying here is that many Many who call themselves Christians will be rejected by Christ. They'll say to them, I never knew you. And I think when he's using that word many, he's talking about people that would even be in this room who claim to be Christians who give some lip service, who have had some sprinkling of like religious spiritual moments, but your hearts are far from Jesus. Most loving thing I could do right now is just pause, let you feel that, that you could turn from the way that you're living your life and recognize, I understand now what it means to know and to be known by Christ. See guys, this passage the full of warnings that I think we need to take to heart is not meant to leave you in some fear-filled free fall wondering, well, is he talking about me? Like, like how can I know for sure that that's not gonna be me someday? Guys, this passage is not only meant to be a great warning, it is meant to be abundantly clear on how you can know that you are known by Jesus. 
And that's where he's going to go. As he builds today, he's going to go into that. And so next week, we're going to unpack this even more. How could you know that you are known by Christ? He's about to talk about two foundations. He's going to essentially say, here's how you know the difference about whether you're a fan of Jesus or you're a friend of Jesus. Here's how you tell the difference. Fans like being close to Jesus. Friends follow Jesus. Fans like being close to Jesus. Friends follow Jesus. And remember this, in Jesus' life, he had a lot of fans and very few followers. So if you want to know the difference, I would ask you, are you a fan or are you a follower? And that's where we'll go next week. But even this passage, as we've been walking through, these, these warnings are not separate kind of shots off in the air, warning signals. They actually are all working together to provide abundant clarity to just go, there's just some simple markers that are in the lives of those who genuinely know Christ. I'll give three of them to summarize what we've just covered today. But the defining marks of a person known by Jesus, this is how you can know that you're known by Jesus. Number one, that their hope is in Jesus alone. The first defining mark of a person who is known by Christ is that their hope is in Christ alone, that they enter the narrow gate, recognizing I contribute nothing to my salvation except for my sin. Just notice for a second, when these people were standing before Jesus, what was it? What was their confidence before Jesus when he was rejecting them? But Jesus, didn't we, didn't we, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Remember, remember that at Easter, I talked about this just a few weeks ago. They got the pronoun wrong. But, but we did this, we, we did this, and I did this, and, and they're, they're getting, they're focusing on this, and it's like, no, 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 like, that, that's, that's a telltale sign that you are not in Christ, you don't get it. We didn't do anything. Jesus did it. My only hope in life and in death is that Jesus paid it all for me, a sinner. My only claim of confidence on that day, when Jesus is standing there before me, his father with him, they go, why should we let you into heaven? I go, because Jesus paid it for me. That's it. Not we, not I. He did it. Defining mark number one is that your hope is in Jesus alone. Number two, you embrace and endure the difficulty of life with Jesus. That's part of it. You just recognize that that's, that's part of the deal. I embrace recognizing that God is always working for my good and I endure persevering in the power of the Holy Spirit, the difficulties of life with Christ. One of them being, sadly, the presence of many false prophets who'll be telling me there's an easier path. There's other ways. It's not true. And the third defining mark of a person known by Jesus is that they are consistently marked by fruitfulness. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Verse 21, I think, makes this abundantly clear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Right? Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is not about doing things to earn God's affections. This is about the fact that you claim Christ, that it changes something about you. You're not just a fan of Jesus, but you follow 
Jesus. And when he speaks, you hear his words and you put them into practice. Can I ask you simply again, as we reflect on that third defining mark of being a Christian, has your claim to know Christ changed anything about you? Because it should. And if it hasn't, hear that warning from Jesus today before it's too late. I don't know you. I would say today, I don't know you yet. And in this moment right now, you can change that by surrendering yourself to Christ and moving from being a fan, knowing all the songs and going to all the concerts, to actually hearing the words of Christ and acting on them. Church, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for these stern but loving warnings. Your call for us to enter through the narrow gate, your call for us to embrace and endure the path that very few will take up, and your call for us to bear fruit and step with our claim to know you, Jesus. And God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would do a work in the lives of many in this room that would cause some to cross from death to life and then others to continue to grow in their transformation into your likeness and for your glory and for your good. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.